Hi, welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether that's walnut, chocolate, fruit, vanilla, you name it, lots of different cakes. And cake is definitely something that unites us here at Salisbury District Hospital. We're recording three great conversations for you today about sexuality, religion, and this one is about race and place. Before we get into it though, we should probably introduce ourselves again. My name's Joe, and I'm the recruitment team leader here at The Trust, and my favourite cake, I'm actually going to change from lemon drizzle and say it's your carrot cake that you've made today, Jane. Mm. Soft and lovely, and just with a little bit of hint of carrot, perfect. Excellent. Oh, I've changed your mind. Mm. So I am Jane, and I am head of nursing for one of the divisions here at the hospital. My favourite cake, I think I might change my mind as well now, and I'm going to go for the lemon drizzle. Okay. Because that one that I've made is actually a good one. I mean, toot toot, it is amazing. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it then. Let's introduce you to our guest for the second episode. On this episode, we are fortunate to have with us the lead education and training pharmacist, Natasha Grover, and senior improvement practitioner, Paula Lewis. Now, before we get started, we both know that you are much more than just your job titles. So, could I start with you, Paula? Can you tell us something about yourself that no one else probably knows? I'm a mum of two boys. I've got three chickens and a dog. I love gardening. (laughs) I used to play taekwondo and I wanted to be a DJ, but that did not work out. (laughs) (laughs) Three chickens and a dog. Go on, Paula. Natasha, your turn. Tell us something about yourself that we don't already know. So actually, just going on from the music theme, I love really, really rude hip-hop music. Do you? I do. So you're a rapstress? <laughs> totally. Brilliant. Especially when I'm behind the wheels. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I tend to overtake on country lanes, so you don't want to be caught behind me. You are I just will full overtake. of surprises. I'll be flicking my switch, my... <laughs> my I'm actually a London driver, so um, ah, I get quite it. frustrated ab- okay. about the, so the you... tractors and people driving into work. Oh, You're... well, actually, people coming for their hospital appointments 10 hours early. <laughs> and I feel like in this 30 seconds, I've found out more about you than I have in the two years that I've worked with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I love hip hop. Right, so let's get into it. This podcast, we are going to cover the topic race and where you're from. Now, you can tell from my accent, I am not from this area. I am from the northeast of England. And throughout the 21 years of living down here, I have experienced, to some extent, lots of different forms of judgment from being a northerner. But it's not stopped me from speaking the way I am or acting how I am. Good. How do you identify yourself in terms of race and where you're from. Natasha, shall we start with you? So I was born and bred in in England. I was born in London, in Wembley. So I've always identified myself as British Asian. But over time, the Asian's quite a broad term. Yeah. Um, And I'm actually quite proud to be Indian. That's who I am. That is my heritage. I think being a British Asian is quite difficult because at school you have to be quite westernised and you come home and you've got your Indian traditions. Yeah. And I've always struggled with that. It's not so bad when you're in London because it's quite a big population of British Asians and Indians. I found it more of a struggle as I've got more into the southwest, so there isn't a lot of us, I suppose. Yeah. But I'm identifying with my own heritage a bit more because I feel like there's not a lot of representation of so who I am here. 
And with that lack of representation here, do you keep those traditions alive at home with your family and your, you know, your, your friends? Um, it's slightly complicated because I don't talk to my parents. Okay. Um, I think it's because I wanted different things and I didn't, I didn't feel that I was free to do them being Indian because it's a lot, they're quite, my parents are quite strict. Yeah. And I had to break away from them to be able to do what I wanted to do. Wow. You can pretend not to be Indian here, I think, because there isn't a lot that draws you into being Indian, yeah. I suppose, apart from your colour. Yeah. And um, I, I, there's no need for me to speak my language. I speak Hindi, but I don't need to speak it here because my kids are in, they speak yeah. English. So I guess um, I could be more Indian if I tried, <laughs> but I do struggle with that sometimes, for sure. When you say your children are English and you, you try and keep some of that culture awareness alive at home, how much of India have they been exposed to? Do, do they know of any of the traditions? Or um, So my kids are half black, half Indian, so they've got Fab. even more of a mix. But the black side is more stronger than the Indian side because okay. I, I talk to the black... My partner speaks to the, his family, so yep. they have that instilled in them. The Indian side, they know about Diwali, they know about mm-hmm. some of those um, festivals. <clears throat> but, and also the food, I cook Indian food at home, so they know all about, you know, all that stuff. Great, I'm coming around for dinner. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the curries and chapatis and things like that. So moving on to yourself, Paul, how, how do you identify with regards to your race and where you're from? So I identify as a Filipina. I'm from Manila, Philippines. Growing up, it's a mix of Filipino and American culture with a little bit of Chinese because my grandmother is um, half Chinese, okay. half Filipino. So there's that strict um, sort of rules at home as well that sure. you've got to follow in yeah. Asian households mm-hmm. or Filipino households. And slightly different to Natasha, and I'm very happy to be corrected, but I sense it's quite a large Filipino community in Wiltshire. So when I arrived here 13 years ago, there was a big Filipino community and they, they paved the way for us. So I received a handbook with all the, um, all the lovely British expressions translated into what is, what it means, yeah. which was really handy. So expressions like, you know, pop into the loo, uh, spend the penny, <laughs> pulling your leg. That's not common in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, so that big Filipino community um, helped us integrate here. It was really good. It was really helpful. It's really interesting that you mentioned you were given a guide to understand some of the common sayings that we yeah. say in England. And it's really, I find quite funny, being from the north, I'll say something and someone will pick up and go, what do you mean? And yeah. I'm, I'm from the same country and we, yeah. we all have our regional different common saying it's that thing for the bread roll isn't it you know some people call it a bread cake some people call it a roll some people call it a bread roll it's It's yet we all live yeah yet we all live in the same country which is just you know bizarre isn't it um so can I ask uh has your race or where you're from ever impacted your experiences at work Natasha I don't think it's had an impact on the jobs I've done because in pharmacy there's quite a lot of Asian Indian people But I think in terms of now I'm in a more senior position, I do find it's quite difficult to get some of those top jobs Yeah. because I might not have the right skills or I don't feel I've got the confidence. And if you look at the senior pharmacy positions across Southwest, for example, mostly they're white males. There's one black chief pharmacist in um, Bath 
And again, he had the same struggles as I've described or am describing. That said, I'd just like to pick up your currently, or you've just finished your MBA, which yeah. is an enormous achievement. So yeah. for someone working full time with a mother, with children, you know, you're doing brilliantly. Yeah. And that should definitely inspire people yeah. yeah and that's probably the reason I did it just to um you know be able to have some of those skills to be able to question and you know m- make sure that others have those opportunities and to get the MBA was really difficult because I had to really sell it to my senior manager and he wouldn't let me do it yeah so I had to um do lots of different things to be able to do it and so I know it's been a journey but hopefully a worthwhile journey Absolutely, mm-hmm. breaking down those barriers, which is absolutely great. Yeah. And Paula, what about you? How has your race or where you're from, has it ever had an impact um, on your experiences here at work? Sure, I think so. Um, it limits the opportunities presented to you because you can be seen as a, a worker, if you like, yeah. uh, as an important worker, but there's a bit of a, a limitation, a ceiling, if you like. That yeah. You're unless- just the worker. Yeah. Unless you've got that um, support from your managers, your support from your team that would like to lift you up, if you like, especially if you've got the potential, the ability and the dedication and commitment to your work. And do you feel like you have had that here at Salisbury? Do you feel like you have been well supported and uplifted? Yes, very recently. um, I I feel lucky to have met um, quite a few people in my um, career that okay. has helped me and recognize the potential but there's still a lot that needs to be done on sure. that because sometimes you can be you know coming from um, the Philippines you can be seen as timid or shy mm-hmm. but actually if you ask people if you get to know them yeah there's a lot they, they have a lot to offer Absolutely. Um, I mean this is how Natasha and I met as well she inspires me Apart from my role as a senior improvement practitioner in transformation, I'm also the chair for the Race Equality Network. This is how Natasha and I met. Mm-hmm. And I was just amazed how she juggled everything. And what she said earlier about her name mm-hmm. being, because it's Natasha, it has given her opportunities. So before I got married, I, um, I married a lovely English man. Obviously, my surname Yeah. Uh, is a Filipino surname. Yeah. So I feel like that was part of that as well. Um, so which, you were judged before anyone even met you because of your name? Yes, and your background. So if you come into a room and there are a mixture of people, staff or a team, they would go straight to the white person because they assume that they're in charge. They, yeah. The lead. yeah. That is very true, isn't it, Natasha? I was just going to say that my children are called English names because I don't want them to have those disadvantages that people with Indian names might have or names that they can't pronounce. So when you were choosing names for your children, you deliberately literally had to think about any racism that they may experience if the name was not English. Yeah. Oh, my word. Absolutely. It made me feel really sad, actually, um, because I've already started being negative when they're not even, you know, put a foot down on earth. And Mm. I'm already considering, you know, that they might have um, disadvantages as they grow up. You know, that's not a good place to be, to be fair. So you're pregnant. You're super excited when you have a baby. Majority of people are just hoping the baby's going to be healthy and that everything will go well. And at the back of your head, you're straight away thinking... What else is this child going to experience that yeah. I'm going to have to protect them from yeah. before they've even 
been born. They're going to have different hair. Mm. You know, they're going to have different features. So she's got, my daughter's got Afro hair. And, you know, she gets asked all the time in school, can I touch your hair? I, at the time, thought, oh, you know, because she's different. But there's, I don't go and touch, they don't touch blonde girls' hair, you know. No. Um, it's not okay, really. So she's already at a disadvantage for being different. So I didn't want the name to have an impact on her development. So like you're trying to mitigate already, wasn't yeah. it? Like the, the ramifications of the name. Absolutely. Mama bear. Yeah. Straight away protecting. Yeah, Mother's yeah. instinct. Yeah. Straight in. Natural, isn't it? But the, the work that me and Paul are doing as well is with Wiltshire Schools. And actually, you know, we talked about leadership and not having the confidence. But it starts from a school age. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of work at the moment with building, you know, that up in those schools. So the children do have those confidences, like the white children. Yeah. I think it has to start from a very young age. Absolutely. Um, it's really interesting listening to you talk because I went to school and I had one of my good friends um, at school was Indian and she was the only coloured child in the class, but she wasn't treated any differently. And my husband, who grew up in South Yorkshire, he remembers the first time he ever saw a black person on the bus and how he looked at them and he said to his mum, oh, why do they look different? Because he hadn't experienced it at school. It wasn't the norm for him. So making it absolutely fine to ask those questions but ask it in a sensitive way that doesn't leave that person feeling in any way less worthy is is so important so I think the work you're doing is amazing it is amazing amazing it really is can I just say it's also the use of terms so like using the word colored is um I think quite offensive I mean that's because what we've been brought up with and I think that then you just carry that term negatively. So now they're using things like dual, dual race, yep. which if you look at the stats, somebody who's been known as dual race has more opportunities than somebody who's been known as mixed race oh, wow. because it's just more positive. Yeah, yeah. it's um, that affirma- word affirmation, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, sure. It's just another thing about reinforcing the right terminology. Okay, Paula, if I can just ask, you mentioned um, about uh, your original name. What is that? So my original name, it's the pronunciation that's different. Um, I'm known as Paula here, but it's Paula. Okay. Uh, My nickname is Pau, so Paula. But just because it's um, translated here as Paula, that's how people call me. Did anyone ever ask you what you want to be called and is it okay to change it to the English way? That's a good question. No, nobody asked me, Jane. So people just assumed that it's the spelling and it's the pronoun- it, that's the way to say my name. And how would you like to be addressed? I guess I got used to it. Everybody here, my friends, address me as Paula. It has become part of me now, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a, a lesson, I guess. That's why I'm I'm not sensitive, but particular if somebody's got a name that you can't pronounce, take the time and the effort to say it properly. Have you two ever experienced racism? How did that make you feel? We start with Paula. But it's more on the microaggressions that I find in the workplace, the little things that some might, might ask of you but not from others and the accumulation of that makes yeah. you makes you frustrated makes you want to th- makes you want to leave or change jobs sometimes yeah and it's quite sad because we're on about mental health and staff well-being but if, if we don't address this microaggression this little little incidents that happens every day we would not have a 
a very good working place, you know. Because yeah. the little things do become the big things, don't they? I was mm. literally going to say that that same point, what might seem little to someone else is massive yeah. to the person who's totally. been offended by it, and rightly so. And it's valid as well. Those little things are, you know, valid concerns because it stops. If we, if we can stamp out that mentality, you'll never get to the big things and then we'll have a, a more harmonious workplace. You said the microaggressions that you've experienced. Could you expand a bit further and tell us what, what are they? Yeah, just coming into a clinical area, for example, and there's somebody else with me who's uh, from a white background, they will get um, the attention first, not me, or they will they will be entertained or accommodated first. Yeah. And that's not just in the NHS, even if you go out in a hotel or some venue or events. And you just get used to it. You just, what I say is, you just be a bigger person. Mm. But it's and like you're being overlooked straight away, isn't it? And it's absolutely. Like, I'm here, I'm valid. Yes. Uh, you know, I bring just as much to the table as the person next to me. Yes. And my concern or why I'm here is just as valid as that person. Mm. And it's just, it's that thing that we absolutely, as a, as a collective, we have to stamp out. Yes, I, I agree with you, Joe. For your experience. I, I haven't experienced racism myself. Um, in terms of what Paula was saying about microaggression, I think we just get used to that, don't we? Mm. Um, we hope when we send application forms for jobs that they treat us as equally as the next person. But you always feel something when you're sitting in that interview mm. process, like, hmm, they're looking at me slightly differently, or, you know, is it because I'm brown or what? And there's always the back of your mind, whether that is factored into them, them selecting you, whether it's just based on the fact that you've got the experience with skills. And I don't know if I can ever change that feeling. But I know I've experienced racism through my children. And um, that has been more disturbing for me, actually, to be fair. Things like your skin's poo-coloured, is your heart oh brown. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I can give you lots of examples of that. And that's what I'm, where my current passion is, to kind of correct some of that behaviour. Mm. Because it does come down to parenting and ignorance. Yeah. And it does have a massive impact on a child's well-being. Yeah, for And obviously sure. I'm all about the mental health. And if we don't sort it out in the beginning, then they carry on and they can cause all sorts of problems as they get older. I'd like to say a huge thank you to you both for being so honest and open. I know some of the things you've said today have really shocked me. Um, Same. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Please keep it up because, like you said, it's a really important work. Um, and I hope you really inspire lots of young girls out there from many different backgrounds to be as successful as you both are. Now, we can't mend or go back and change what's happened to you, but we can offer cake. Lots of cake. All now, the cake. What is your favourite cake and why? I like coffee cake because I love coffee. That's <laughs> simple as that. <laughs> and yourself, Paula? I like a dark chocolate cake. Uh, partial to red velvet cake. It's like a hug inside, isn't it? <laughs> we have red velvet. We do. We don't have coffee, but we do have chocolate and uh, vanilla, and we have got carrot cake, and we've got red velvet. So Lemon. And lemon drizzle is on the table as well today, so, so please do help yourselves. Help yourself. Thanks so much for listening to this second episode of The Cake, and to Natasha and Paula for taking time out to record with us today. We've still got... One more brilliant conversation coming up for you about faith at work. And if you haven't done already, I'd really recommend that you check out our first episode on the topic of sexuality. Right then, Jane. Fancy a slice? Certainly do.